It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. The views and opinions expressed by contributors on the Spoon River Gothic podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the position of the host. Material heard on the Spoon River Gothic podcast is intended for adult listeners. This podcast deals with mature topics that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. This is Spoon River Gothic, narrative of a double homicide. Hi, this message is for Jack Pollock. My name is Anne Marie, and I was talking to Joyce Harlan today about uh, Canton and about its history. And hello, hello, hello. Hi. Yes, you were looking for Jack. Yeah. Okay, just a second, please. I was late getting to the phone. Oh, okay. Thank you. Talking to Joyce Harlan today. Hello. Hi, Jack. My name is Anne Marie, and I was talking to Joyce today about oh. the, the history of Canton. I'm working on a podcast with one of her former students, a gentleman named Corey Zimmerman, and we were looking for somebody to talk to about the uh, history, you know, the background of Canton, and she said you would be a good uh, resource. Well, yes, I'd be happy to talk to them. Uh, plus, um, we have started a, uh, what we call Canton Heritage Center, a kind of a little museum that you might be interested in seeing. Okay. Um, well, I'm wondering if you would mind talking to me about it, and if you have time now, or if you want me to call you back another time. Well, you probably should call me back at another time. I'm eating right oh, now. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. No problem. <laughs> well, what's a good time for you? Oh, give me an hour. Okay, great. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Name, dear? My name's Anne Marie. Anne Marie? Yeah. Okay. And I was talking to Joyce uh, earlier on today, and um, I'm working on a podcast with one of her former students, and we're looking for a historian to give us, you know, to talk to our audience a little bit about the history of Canton, the general history. Uh, I see. And she suggested that you would be a good person to talk to. Well, I'm just, I'm curious about, you know, the early settlement of Canton. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? How did Canton come into being? Well, uh, there was a gentleman by the name of uh, 
Parlin, who uh, was out east and he was a blacksmith helper and he decided he knew enough about blacksmithing and so on, he wanted to move west. And so he uh, got over along the Mississippi and then came down to up to Illinois and he landed down here on the river and he came into this area and uh, there he found some people already in the area and he uh, began to meet some of them and he met a fellow by the name of Colton and uh, they uh, became partnerships in that blacksmith shop. And that blacksmith shop it was the uh, start of making plows and it eventually in the, in the, the town sprung up around them and so on and then this is we're talking like oh, 18 uh, 20, something like that. And then around 1840, he had a, had actually had a mill, a small uh, factory making plows. And he married and uh, he brought his brother in law into the business. His brother in law was named Warren Dwarf. And he, so he started the P&O Plow Works. And it was actually one of the first manufacturers of a solid, totally steel plow. So, and it was it was configured such that it uh, scoured very well, which meant that the dirt rolled off the moveboard itself without it being scraped, which uh, speeded up the time of being able to plow out acres or and so on. <laughs> Later, uh, of course, uh, they were successful and and uh, had a lot of other uh, implements that they made, but he invited his brother-in-law, whose name again was Orndorff, into the business and became P&O Plow Works. And it progressed and grew and had a fire and they built another building and then had another fire and he built brick buildings then and so it actually was the start of a of a major little industry and sometime uh, around uh, 1860 or so he actually had several hundred employees and uh, then they they, uh, he became successful, and in the 1900s, he, turn of the century, uh, he actually had about a thousand people uh, working for him, and it was probably one of the more successful factories uh, at that time. And then it was successful that uh, an outfit started in Chicago by the name of, of uh, uh, it was uh, McCormick Deering. I'm sure that McCormick name might mean something to you. He started the uh, cotton gin and so on. Anyway, Mr. McCormick and Mr. Deering had little factories in Chicago. Now, you remember at that time, that Chicago was smaller than what Canton was, and actually Chicago was part of Fulton County, where Canton is located. So it, it was uh, it was a big deal and uh, so they decided they would form a company together and they did came to Cormac Deering and built on the Chicago River and it began to grow quite frankly 
and they decided that they wanted to be not only just producing their equipment, but all kinds of equipment that a farmer might use. So in 1919, they bought out P&O Plowworks, and P&O Plowworks uh, then became part of International Harvester. Mm, okay. Okay. So now we're up to International Harvester going in. Am I, my, do, do I do go on or anything? Do you have some questions? Um, well, I talked to Joyce a little bit. International um, Harvester was the company that the town pretty much depended on, and then I'm not sure what year it was, but then they left Canton. Is that right? And do you know what year that was? Yeah, that was 1983. Oh, okay. At Christmas Eve of 1983, uh, they were supposed to stop all production at the plant. They had announced a year and a half prior to that, that they were trying to sell the plant uh, as a production operation. Should they not be able to, then they were going to close the plant. And uh, the production wound down and was scheduled to close uh, Christmas Eve of 1983. But I had received, I was the plant manager. Oh, okay. And uh, I was in charge of closing the plant and so on. Uh, we got found out when the parts department and the farmers finally found out that, that, that the Canton plant was closing, they said, guys, we don't have enough shares, plow shares and so on. So the parts department called me and asked me uh, how much, how many more shares could I make? And I said, it depends upon the steel and so on. And uh, uh, but I was able to get enough steel gathered through, through buying from corporations and the amount of steel we had left on hand anyway. And so actually I produced shares until uh, late summer of 84. And then at that time I had to, I shut it down and closed the powerhouse and, and left a few guards to keep the plant from people from steaming and so on burning it down and and uh, I moved my accounting people and so on out to uh, I rented part of the health department local health department in Fulton County and moved my people there so that the plant was completely empty and that was in 1984. What impact did that have on the town? It was devastating quite frankly. The, uh, uh, it, it, uh, um, I like to use an analogy that a, a, a fellow who uh, told me uh, he ran a business or a men's store, and I like to use his analogy. Then he gave me an idea how it affected me. You, you had 200 management people, and I could count on maybe two to three suits for each management man per year. And he says, I haven't been able to sell a suit in a year and a half. He says, and I thought that was a pretty good comparison to give you an idea. But many businesses went out, of, went out of business and property values went super down. So uh, it was, it was, uh, it can't have been, uh, or I Harvester had been a leader of, people getting as many as 2,600 employees 
in 1970 or mid 70s. So going from there to zero uh, was quite a blow to the city. What did it do due to the population? Well, the population at, when Harvest was running good was about a little over 15,000 and it dropped to 12.5 uh, pretty in, in the next uh, census. It had lost at least that many and actually uh, it, it uh, stayed pretty low until uh, in Bruce, my name's Anne Marie. I had left you a message not too long ago. Um, I was reaching out to you because I talked to Joyce Harland. Um, okay. And I'm working on a podcast uh, called Spoon River Gothic, and the first season is going to be about a case that happened in Canton, Illinois. And uh, Joyce said you were the historian to talk to. Yeah, which uh, which story are you doing? Are you doing uh, Janice May? No, I was doing uh, Donald Ball. Okay. Would you be willing uh, to talk yeah. to me? Oh yeah, that's that. No, I'd love to talk to you. Oh okay. Is this a, a not a good time? One time's about as as good as another right now because I had knee surgery, so I don't really have a lot else on my plate. So, oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, so I, I just, uh, I've done a lot of, uh, looked into a lot of different um, stories over the, over the years. Okay. Yeah, so I'm just, you know, I'm interested in any history about Canton that you want to share with me, uh, specifically in the 90s as well, and if you remember anything about the Donald Bull case. Um. He's the one who killed the Tompkins girl. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's strange because I met her 
because I was friends with her husband, uh, John Tompkins. And um, uh, so, um, so, but I can't, I wouldn't be able to say that I knew her well or anything. I mean, I knew her husband pretty well. Um, but, uh, and if there's, I don't know, if, I mean, I... Uh, and I don't know if she told you I have uh, all this. Uh, I uh, I was contacted by Buzz Bissinger, who wrote Friday Night Lights, and um, helped him write a book, which oh, wow. just came out wow. a couple months ago. Uh, it was number one on um, new releases on Amazon and. Uh, it's called the Mosquito Bowl, but um, and I and I'd be certainly willing to look up some stuff for you on this Donald Bowl thing. Um, so any way that I can be of uh, up to you, uh, uh, certainly would be um, willing to do that. Oh, okay. So maybe you could just like tell me the general background, the history of Canton. Because we would like to put, you know, the place in context. Mm. Well, um, uh, I, I think that uh, Canton was, was discovered. Uh, <laughs> well, Lewistown was discovered uh, a few years ahead, and Lewistown became the. The, the county seat, which therefore a long time was a a big um, bone of contention between uh, people of Canton, people of Fulton County, and people of Canton tried several different times to get it switched up to to there because back then, I mean, if you had to have any legal business to go fourteen miles, uh, no matter how you did it, was was kind of a, a, a drag. Canton people, there was a, a big incident where they tried to bribe the people of another town uh, with whiskey to get them to, to vote <laughs> Canton in as, as uh, county seat. And so it got to be very contentious. And then at one point, um, the people, they knew something was going was gonna to happen. So see, Lewistown, they, they had, uh, courthouse, they had it insured uh, for a lot of money, but it would only pay out if the new courthouse was built in Lewistown. And so the same people from Lewistown had some guys from Lewistown set it on fire, and then they, they went to Chicago and hit out city of Canton hired some detectives to go find these guys up in Chicago and they literally drug them back and uh, try to get them in trouble and so but when it all came down to it uh, they, when they had to build the new courthouse it's it stayed in Lewistown and um, just a lot of um, unrest you know in the early 1900s uh, with the mines, there's a lot of immigrants, and and uh, they were the mines were always looking to bring in somebody cheaper, and there was a went through a period where they they 
uh, blockaded the railroads and and uh, there was a lot of fights and a lot what of, kind of mines? stuff. Coal mines. Okay. Yeah, the Fulton County used to be one of the top producers of coal in the, the United States for a long time. And then, uh, you know, I did a I did like a profile on everybody from Fulton County who died during World War II. There was over a hundred people who from Fulton County who died during World War II, and some of them were just basically kids out of the out of the war. So you're you're wanting to do mostly Canton, correctly? Correct. Yeah, Canton. We're really interested in getting you know as much information on the record about Canton and what it was like. Um, did you grow up in Canton, Bruce? I, I grew up in Lewistown. Okay. Um, but Canton, the, 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 the thing too about, you know, Canton, the, the one thing about growing up, there was um, uh, the trains. The trains, uh, they had different kinds of trains. There was, um, or you know, freight trains that went, went back and forth. There was also that I think that that was one of the main modes of transportation was, you know, there was a train that, you know, went between the city, the, you know, Canton and Farmington and Lewistown and all that. And there was also, there was also what they call the narrow gauge, uh, train yep. that went from one end of the county to the other. But, you know, narrow gauge is, uh, uh, not meant to uh, haul a bunch of freight. It's more. It's more like strictly a passenger car. And then there was also what they called the inner urban, where is if you look through some of the pictures, there was um, uh, it was kind of an electric train that ran through from like uh, I think it was Canton, St. David, yeah, Canton, St. David, Lewistown, all the way up to Farmington. So. Um, those were kind of some of the different ways people got transported between between the cities. But you know, uh, once once International Harvester happened, that was really the big separator between Canton and the other the other towns because um, it was really driven by International Harvester. The the population was the employee because of the employees. Right, yeah. It was like, um, yeah, I've heard a little bit about that. Yeah, at one time, I mean, it was one of the larger manufacturing plants in downstate Illinois. And like I said, then they also had, uh, there were several coal mines all around the all around the town. And so there was a lot of, uh, there. you know, whereas during the Depression, there was a lot of other areas of the country that were hit pretty hard. Here in Fulton County, there was there was actually a lot of different towns that were, I mean, a lot of a lot of different places that thrived during during the during the depression. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah, and Canton uh, Canton High School was a athletic powerhouse in the first half of the twentieth century. Here, they went to. I think they went to the state tournament in basketball more than any other team in the state. Um, they won the state championship in 1928, and uh, you know they. But I think they went 17 times during the first half of the 20th century, and so I mean basketball was also a, a very big event uh, 
in the county at that time. But then, but then things began to change around in the in the eighties. Uh, International Harvester closed, and then the, the coal mines, which used to be were used to flourish, for almost all that area, were closed down because there was too much sulfur in the uh, in the coal there, and so they went from having a lot of coal mines to having none. And so, I mean, that really changed the whole, the whole, you know, just social climate of the of the county because there used to always be so many different opportunities for jobs and and really good paying jobs out of high school. It went from that to there was nothing. The caterpillar, caterpillar over in Peoria. A lot of people from Canton used to work for Caterpillar, and uh, they. They started uh, moving jobs out of state, and so just the whole economic um, climate began to change in, in Canton in the 80s. Um, so do you remember hearing about, well, you were friends with John, you said, right? John Tompkins? Yeah, 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 because my mother called and told me. I remember when I had seen him, I don't know, it was sometime after that, I mean, and you know, any, any kind of crime like that, you know, you're, you're going to bring the spouse in because more often than not, that's the one that, um, who was um, responsible for it. And so, I mean, they, I guess that they really grilled him pretty hard about it. And I don't, I don't think he's ever really gotten over it. I mean, every, you know, it's like, I mean, it's been 30 years and, he still can't seem to get past it, and um, you know he used to be. You know he used to be part of a very one of the larger family farms that they always farmed together. They always got along together. It's a very close group, and I think that that uh, he just he just um, he he stopped uh, working in the family farm and then, and then it caused a lot of friction within the family and because you know, he was uh, he was growing up he was one of I mean he was one of these kids that was involved in FFA and 4-H and he would you know show cattle and he'd always like be one of these they had you know they had champions and sheep and, and pigs and steers and it was just a really was really into it and uh and now he's working uh, at a car wash. Because wow. I, I think he's just had a lot of, I think he's had a lot of emotional um, problems and that he's just never be able, been able to get past all of this. Right. Well, plus he lost his daughter. Right. Yeah, and I was kind of surprised because she was from, she was from Connecticut and, uh, but, She's buried with her mother in upstate Illinois. She and her daughter are buried. It's like up by Dixon or Oregon, Illinois or something. I, I don't know what the connection was. So she wasn't buried either here uh, or in Connecticut where she grew up. Mm. Yeah. Well, what was like? What was your reaction when you heard about it, if you don't mind me asking? <laughs> Um, I knew, I knew him 
there there are some kids there are some people uh, you know you you realize that you know uh people are flawed and there's there's a lot of people that if you would have said that their wife had died I, I would have been really surprised because he never, ever seemed to be that. And then especially when his daughter was also killed, you, you just knew, well, there's no way that that would have been. It's one thing to kill your spouse. It happens in, in a fit of anger. There's no way he would have killed his daughter. So, um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was just very. I knew that it, I knew that he couldn't have been involved with it. I mean, but it was just still very just crushingly sad, and you knew that he was. It was going to be hard for him. So, based yeah. on what you knew about him, you never even thought for a minute that he could have ever done anything like that, especially because his daughter. Right. Yeah. Uh, I knew that they. Ha- I knew that they had gotten a divorce. I think they kind of met. I think they've met. I don't know how long they had known each other before they got married, and and so I don't know kind of, you know, what the what what caused them to um, the marriage to split up whether it's just lifestyle, you know, that he wanted to live on the farm and she, you know, didn't. And, you know, sometimes people just don't really, they get into marriage without really knowing each other. And so I, I have no idea kind of what was the, what caused all that. And, you know, I, and I have friends, I have a, one of my best friends was uh, closer to John than, than I was. And, I don't think that he was, uh, um, I don't think that he was, uh, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought that he, he would have been like stalking her or, you know, threatening to her because it just didn't, didn't seem like he was that kind of guy. Right. Um, so. Did you follow the investigation and then the, um, trial that, happened with Donald Bull? Yeah, because I, yeah, I started look, looking it up on uh, newspapers.com because it was in a lot of the newspapers. And then I went to, but uh, the, the local papers aren't on news, newspapers.com. And I, I did remember going through and looking through the back issues and reading all that. I know at one point, um, David Haynes was a uh, suspect, and I guess he worked with her. Did you know him? I did not. Okay. Do you feel that uh, justice was served and that they had the right guy and that um, he, well, of course, he actually died in prison before he, the death sentence was supposed to be carried out? Yeah, it's... Um, yeah, it seemed, it seemed to me, uh, in comparison to, uh, I don't, do you know the, um, Janice May story? Uh, no, she was just a young girl. Her mother, her, um, uh, mother went to work at the hospital. She and her brothers went out. So I think she was like eight at the time. 
we're, we're just playing outside. The chick, a couple older brothers, and they they didn't, you know, they, you know, they kind of got separated. But you know, you didn't really maybe weren't aware of how much you had to keep your siblings uh, within sight of you all the time. But it's just like. They've been separated for just a short amount of time, and then, and then she turned up dead oh. by by uh, the railroad tracks in Canton, and they put out they put out this ATB, and and they were really determined to find somebody, and so they'd heard about this um, Lloyd Elton Miller who would who would kind of left town quickly early and a call out to this all over the state to find this uh, Mr. Miller and uh, they did and they tried and convicted and sentenced him to a, to death within a month after the whole Janice May thing and it, it was like they were just like okay this is this is our guy we are just going to ramrod him you know, into prison. Well, then his, his case went all the way to the Supreme Court, where it turned out that there was a lot of stuff that was that they just made up and that was false and everything. And so, um, I think that um, you know, I think the Donald Bull thing. It seemed like there was there was um, it, it was a lot. Um, it seemed like there was a lot more incriminating evidence against him than there was, um, you know, uh, anybody else. And it didn't, it, it wasn't, it wasn't something where they just, um, uh, I think, I think in, in small towns like Canton, when there's a, when there's a death like the Tompkins girl or Janice May, there is like a lot of pressure to find who did it, and you know, because the public's you know uh, awareness is very heightened. But uh, I don't think that in the in the Tompkins case, there was uh, they didn't. It, there were, it took them some time to kind of sort it out. Okay. Interesting. Um, what was it? What year was uh, Janice May? Janice May was uh, fifty-three, and like I said, that was really bad because That's the mother worked at Graham Hospital. They get the they get the they get they find this girl they take her to the hospital where her mother's working and I think the mother saw her daughter beaten up like that and she just passed out and so I don't think I don't think they ever even looked at anybody else other than Lloyd Miller um so that's interesting yeah no I didn't know about that alright um but, um, yeah, so there was, uh, Canton was, Canton, you know, I don't know if you know what, you know what Camp Ellis was? What is it, Camp Ellis? Camp Ellis. During the 40s, right after World War II began, the 
the army put up this uh, training facility in Ikeva, which is you know south of here. And there was more people in Camp Ellis than there was in the rest of the county combined. And so there was that whole Camp Ellis, there was, it was a pretty wild time here through Canton and uh, in Fulton County. There was, you know, a flood of prostitution that came in and and uh, there was always uh, soldiers getting in trouble and drinking and driving and stealing cars. I mean, it was kind of a really wild period. Yeah. During the Camp Ellis days. So. Oh, that's interesting. But, yeah. So. Spoon River Gothic is a production of Lone Bird Media in association with CZ Studio and Radio Verite. The show is produced by August Olson, editing, directing, and producing by Corey Zimmerman, audio mastering and engineering by E. Mastered. Research is done by Anne-Marie Cannon, Chelsea Mesa, and me, Jinra Illustrisimo. Spoon River Gothic is written and hosted by Corey Zimmerman. You can follow the show at czstudio.works and read the blog at spoonrivergothic.com. Show some love by leaving us a rating or review on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And stay tuned for the next episode as we dive deeper into the Donald Bull case. Thank you for listening. This is Spoon River Gothic, narrative of a double homicide. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.